Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. And on the inside, you're going to get a recap of what we talk about, as well as some questions to reflect on what we talk about today. On the back, you're going to get the verses we're going through. On the bottom, you get a place for notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events and Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and I want you to listen for a common word that keeps being said here, okay? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's, that's not us. We are Gentile sinners by birth. Okay, just letting you know that. <laughs> Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you hear that word keep coming up? Great, let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be justified, to see ourselves the way that you see us. And that would lead us into great places of boldness to be able to live for who you are in the world around us. But it would also bring a great humbleness as we realize the lives that we now live seem to so often fall short, but it is your grace that covers us. So teach us to live in the truth of that in all ways. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this Trek, the New Testament book of Galatians. Uh, this is week nine, and today we will finish chapter two. I've been mentioning all these weeks, we're kind of going back and going forward. I did cover the verses I had you stand for last week, but not really in depth, and we are going to look at those as well as the ones after it in depth. If you have a Bible that's out of seat back in front of you, you can open to page 631, because that's where Galatians chapter two is. And Galatians is really the beginnings of the early church as it moves out to encompass the Jewish and Gentile world coming together. And they are having lots and lots of issues. So Paul has been recounting his story of how he comes to understand what the gospel truly is. He talks about the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. He goes to Jerusalem two different times, a decade apart. And that the church in Jerusalem says, yes, Paul, you're preaching the gospel. You go to the Gentiles, that's people like us, and we'll go to the Jews. And they go out and they start reaching these people. And then Paul recounts this other story where he is in Antioch and Peter shows up. And Peter is eating with the Gentiles, having fellowship with them. But then some really legalistic people show up and Peter stops eating with those Gentiles like they are now unclean. He pulls himself back from meeting with them. And Paul has this really great theological discussion which sends Peter back to the gospel. And that is really everything from chapter 2 verse 14 through the end of chapter 2. And really, if you want to whittle it down, how do you know if you are a Christian? Well, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the good news that led you to Jesus? Jesus came. He lived the life that we should have lived but never did. He died the death that we deserve to die, so he gives his righteousness to us. It's this word called imputes. He imputes his righteousness to us. He gives us new life and takes our death, and we get to live in life and relationship with God when we trust in him. That is the good news. And so what we're going to do is look at the rest of what Paul says to Peter, because he's distancing himself from the Gentiles, and you get 
get the full understanding of this. So chapter 2, now verse 17, Paul says, If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, when you hear that, you kind of go, I got lost in the middle of that somewhere. I don't know what's going on. Peter will later write in, in his letter, he will say, Paul loses me sometimes. So if Paul ever loses you, you're in good company. Except if you're separating yourself from any with other people, then you're not in good company. But anyway, the gospel is about what a Christian is. And Paul takes it directly to this word called justified. He says it four times in these verses. For a Christian, the word justified means we are no longer viewed in the same way before God himself. It means our sins and our lives no longer bring us into condemnation. We are accepted. We are righteous in God's sight. So let me explain what this means. And if you like theology, today's going to be theology day. You're like, woo, theology day. Like last week was philosophical week because we talked about truth kind of philosophically. The week before that was practical. But if you're into theology, here's your holiday Sunday. We're going to go with this. To justify something doesn't doesn't mean you merely change a thing, you change your view of a thing. So I'll explain what that means. So it's like this. Imagine a, a fight breaks out at a school and one kid goes up to another kid and he punches him and he tackles him to the ground. The teachers, the principal, the security show up and they grab this kid and they say, you're out of here. We have a zero tolerance policy for violence. But then the kid says, wait, that guy had a gun and he was going to shoot somebody. And I know that's an extreme, but sometimes extremes are really a great way to illustrate some points. So what the kid does is he's not, he doesn't change his behavior. What he does is he justifies his behavior. I did this because of that. And so the kid doesn't say, I'm sorry for tackling him. He says what he did is I tackled him in order to save other people's lives. He changes the view of the thing. To justify something is to not necessarily change the behavior, but how it is then regarded. Now, as Christians, that doesn't mean that Christ condones all of our sins. You know, Paul says, certainly not. That's not what he does. But how God sees us through the person of Christ, we are righteous. We are justified, even though in, in we, even when we still sin. And this is the astounding thing that is the essence of being a Christian. It is this word justified, justification. To be a Christian means we are justified. And before you get all excited and think, oh, that means I can do whatever I want, punch people like Aaron said, no. No, that's not what I'm saying. you got to understand what it doesn't mean. It really doesn't mean you're making lots of promises to be good. It doesn't even mean that you even necessarily are good at times. I think those might come about at some point. But to become a Christian isn't to become good. Becoming good is a result of justification of what God does in our lives. It's not the essence. We become Christians because we are justified. That's how it works. Now, when you see this, it, again, it doesn't mean you even stop being bad. And we, we want to stop being bad. I get that. But what it means is our sin no longer brings us into condemnation. Paul says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And so what he's saying is that this righteousness, this means of a righteous record before God, is not something that we will ever gain by working for it. It is something that is laid upon us, something that is given to us. It's received because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
cross. Jesus died. When we believe in him, his record is then transferred to us. We get that righteousness. Now, I told you the very first week of Galatians that the Methodist movement really came about because they were reading Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And this is what Martin Luther writes about these verses. He says, Christian righteousness, God imputes it to us apart from our works, meaning God lays it upon us. He gives it to us. He says, in other words, it is a passive righteousness. So what does that mean? He says, if I tried to fulfill the law myself, I could not trust in what I had accomplished. Neither could I stand up to the judgment of God. So I rest only upon the righteousness of Christ, which I do not produce, but receive. The Father freely given it to us through Jesus Christ. He says, I don't produce my own righteousness. I never could. I receive it. It is laid upon me. It is a passive righteousness. In the 16th century, there is a priest named Richard Hooker, and he writes this, such are we in the sight of God the Father, as is the very Son of God himself. That when God sees you, because of what Christ has done, your faith in him, God sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees the Son himself. Hooker goes on and says this, We care for no knowledge in the world but this, that man has sinned and God has suffered, that God hath made himself the sin of man, and that men are made the righteousness of God. That is astounding. It is astounding that God would deem to do this for us. What does that mean? Our standing before God is not based upon our outward works. Now, it is really nice when our outward works do come along and they change and they you know, conform more to the image and likeness of who Jesus is. But Paul says, verse 17, In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Now, he's saying that all of us are justified the same way, but he uses this word, we. Who is he talking to? He is talking to Peter. When he says we, Paul is talking about him and Peter. Sometimes I will pray at the end of the service and I will say, Dear God, we as a people, and that's just a general we. This is not a general we. This is Paul saying, Peter, we are justified the same way as everybody else. We're apostles and we are justified in Christ. He's talking about them. We are Jews. We are not Gentiles. We are justified by faith in Christ, not through the law. He keeps using this we, we, we. This is why. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Why is that so important? Because Peter is pulling himself back from these Gentiles and not eating with them. And he's saying, why would you do that? We're all justified the exact same way. If you think this is a general we and you read this word endeavor, our endeavor to be justified, that could just be some random person thinking about salvation. But Peter and Paul is who Paul is talking about. They are also justified sinners. Paul says, if we live as justified men and it becomes evident that we still sin, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Certainly not. That's why he says that. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But Paul is saying, we're the apostles. We mess up. We don't fulfill the law. We are justified through Christ, just like everybody else. So why would we ever distance ourselves from those who need Christ the most? And it's really important for the culture we live in today, many times how we feel about the culture around us. Paul's point, we are only justified in Christ even though and even when we still sin. In God's sight, we're justified and accepted, but in ourselves, we still sin. 
every other religion, every other philosophy, every other worldview says either you're a sinner and you're trying to be righteous. They probably don't use those words. They say be part of our cause and believe this, but a sinner and trying to be righteous or you're righteous, you agree with us and you used to be a sinner. It's no 30, 70 sinner, 70% righteous, 50, 50. It's none of that. Every other religion or worldview says you're either a moral failure or you were honored and loved by God. It's one or the other. And I love that Tim Keller likes to call Christians honored failures, righteous sinners, justified sinners, because we are justified because of what Christ has done, and yet we still sin in our life. Jonathan Edwards uh, preached this sermon in 1735, in April of 1735. It was on Romans chapter 4, verse 5, and it says this, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, I give you the year because in 1735 when he preached that, everybody got so excited about justification, they went out and spread it throughout their town, and one-third of their town over the next year came to follow Christ. Can you imagine if you got so excited about being justified before God, you're like, woo, I'm going to talk about justification. It's so amazing. And you go out into Santa Maria, and a third of Santa Maria becomes believers. Yeah, you guys aren't excited at all. <clears throat> okay. Romans 4, 5 does not say if you clean yourself up and work your heart into a certain emotional state, then God justifies you. No. What it says is it's the one who stops trying and simply begins to trust in God's provision who is justified. A Christian is justified even when sometimes our actions are ungodly. And this is why it's so important to understand justification. Ungodly actions like Peter's actions in distancing himself from the Gentiles. Paul is like, Peter, you got to remember who we are in Christ. Remember that. We are righteous sinners. We're honored failures. Paul is bringing Peter back because of the gospel. He's restoring him by grace by reminding him of what the gospel message is. And this is what we are to do with one another. Martin Luther said that a Christian is simul justus es peccator, and I might have just totally butchered that, but what that means is simultaneously just and a sinner at the same time. Our identity is child of God. That is how God sees us because of what Christ has done, and yet we still sin. Guys, we, we have this faith in Christ. That's how we're justified. <clears throat> and I hope you're following with me in this. Because I really think that this can be very practical when you understand the gospel and how you speak it to one another. I think if our gospel communities and, and the friendships you have at Element could be those who really understood what the gospel is. Not just how to regurgitate it, but how to actually live that in ways like, like Paul does it here. I think if we can learn how to practice it to one another, it would be amazing. I think that's the best discipleship, learning how to speak the gospel into all aspects of our lives. See, Christianity, it is so different than any other faith on this planet because what it means to truly live as a Christian does not come about by brute force of will. It does not come about by trying really hard. It comes about by a deeper understanding of what the gospel does, what it is, and what it brings. In Galatians 2.14, Paul goes up to Peter and he says, you've withdrawn from these Gentiles. You've treated them like they're unclean. And what Paul says to Peter is not, Peter, you're a terrible person. Oh, look at what you're doing. This is what we would do today, right? We'd say, oh, Peter, you got this racist attitude. That's against the law of God even though it may be against the law of God, but he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, your actions are coming about because you're not living in line with the gospel. So this is what the gospel is. He didn't say, Peter, you're terrible. He says, Peter, this is the gospel. Remember the gospel. The gospel has implications for us. And we should want to live out those implications in our lives. The church father Tertullian, all the way back in the third century, said this, As Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between two errors. 
And it's true. Still happens today. And he's talking about how our hearts tend to go one way or the other when we see the gospel. Oh, I believe the gospel. I think it's so great. You know, we tend to always fall off it on one side or the other. Many Christians, like Peter, intellectually believe the gospel. But in the end, what we love the most or fear the most shows what we're actually going to believe. And so what are these two sides that people fall off on? Well, one side is called legalism and one side is called antinomianism. You're like, what does that mean? Okay, legalism essentially means lawism. Okay, I'm going to follow the law. Antinomianism means anti-lawism, so to speak. So someone put it this way. Legalism is the view that says, I'm basically a sinner trying to become righteous. Antinomianism says, I'm acceptable, I'm wonderful. If there's a God, God accepts everybody just as they are. So legalists are people, they know that God is loving, but the holiness of God is so great, which is, which is a good thing. It really should be that great. But the grace of God tends to be really weak. And so many times you're basically a sinner trying hard to be righteous, trying hard to be holy. That's a legalist. And there's a lot of people today who don't understand Christianity, and yet that's what they think Christianity is. You do the Ten Commandments, you live the Golden Rule, you're, you're nice to people, you do all these things, and that's how you become justified. That is not how you become justified. But on the other side, the irreligious, the antinomian person says, God has to accept me whatever I want to do as being acceptable. That God is love, and that means he is never angry or mad, and he just wants me to be happy. Like, whatever I deem is true and right, well, that's, I'm a good person. That's what God has to think is a good person. Now, in this, the, the grace of God is real, which is a good thing, but the holiness of God is really weak. And that's a bad thing. The Bible says, Paul says, Tertullian says, everybody tends to go off in one direction or the other. You think, oh, I don't do that. Well, we all kind of do. Like one of the things I love about Tertullian, and there's, there's lots of things not to like about things that he thought, but when he says the gospel is crucified, he means because people don't get it. People don't understand. And so what you have many times is some people look at the gospel and they will say, that just sounds too easy right? Easy grace. Oh, I just have to trust and believe and all my sins are forgiven. There needs to be something else. It's simple, easy grace. I don't like that. Well, people on the other side will say, oh, that sounds too exclusive. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Well, that's too demanding. It's too moralistic. And really what you see is the legalists think the gospel is antinomian, and antinomians think the gospel is legalistic. And that's one of the ways you know you have the real gospel, because everybody's falling off it. Right? This is the gospel line. Everybody's like falling off one side or the other. It's like, it's like this, this high wire. Not that the gospel's a high wire, but we can't fully rest in the grace of God. And so we tend to keep falling off on one side or the other. And yet that is where the grace of the gospel continues to shine. Because God saves us in that. Like Peter falls off it. It doesn't mean Peter wasn't saved. I mean, he fell off on the legalistic side. And Paul comes in and reminds him of what the gospel is and brings him back, just like we need to be reminded all the time. You are justified in Christ and Christ alone. That's how you are justified. If we get brutally honest, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever responded like a legalist, like Peter? I know I do that all the time. The legalist says, oh, Christianity's too easy. Those people, they need to understand, you know, to really work for these things. You've got to really do these things to honor God. And we should honor God. I'm not saying we shouldn't, right? But legalists look at that and they go, those people should work harder to be righteous. I have told you before about my dad. One of the reasons my dad says he will not become a Christian is that he says, when you say people can become a Christian, on their deathbed, he hates that. He goes, why in the world can someone live like a total butthole their entire life and then in their very last moment, I said the right word, not the wrong word there, in the very last moment say, oh, I repent and, and I believe in Jesus and then Jesus will save them. Why? That's, that's not fair. That's not fair. Guess what? 
It's not fair, right? God's not fair. God is good. God is good. And that's what we have to understand. God is the one who justifies us, not because of our work, but because of Christ's work on our behalf. God can save a Jeffrey Dahmer. God could save a Charles Manson. I wouldn't. But I'm not God, right? And people say, but there has to be a penalty. There has to be justice for what those people did. Yes, just like there is for your sin. Jesus goes to the cross to pay for our sin. He dies in our place. We are justified because our sin was laid upon Christ. And when we come along and we think there's got to be some good in somebody for God to save them, they had to have some moral thing in them. That's how we become legalists. We believe there is some type of law that must be obeyed for salvation. And yet truth without grace, it is not really truth according to the scriptures. I read this great quote. If you have a God who demands the law and is not a gracious God, ironically, you do not have a bigger view of the law than the gospel. You have a smaller view of the law than the gospel. The gospel and only the gospel takes the law seriously. Like if you don't believe that God extends grace to everybody but only believe in being good, you haven't really read the law. You haven't understood the law because the whole point is the law is to tell you, you can't live up to this. You can't do it. Our problem is that we do not take the law as seriously as the gospel does. Anybody ever hear of the Unity Church or the Universalist Church? Yeah? Uh, Spanned in the 1800s. It's actually one up here past, past Pine Grove. That wasn't built in the 1800s. It's just the organization. 1800s. Anyway, uh, they, they say you don't have to believe in Jesus. He died for your sins. Actually, you don't have to believe in any God at all. What they say is the important thing is you live by the golden rule. You live by the golden rule, you'll find God. It's basically be good, be kind, be nice, and it'll all work out in your favor. The sad thing is, I feel like these people must have never read the golden rule. <laughs> like, what's, what's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is what Jesus says this. That when Jesus says that, though, they don't understand the depth of what Jesus said about it. The golden rule says you're supposed to meet the needs of people around you with all of the joy and creativity and power and intensity with which you meet your own needs. And none of us do that. None of us do that. I don't think we ever could. And if you're following with me, you got to hear me when I say this. If you're a legalist, you do not believe in the real law of God. What you, be- you don't believe in the real morality of God. What you believe in is a whittled down version of the law that you think you can keep. There are people today who will take the Old Testament law and try and say, no, it's still good. And Jesus is the Messiah. And they mix those things together. They do not believe in the law. They believe in a whittled down version of the law that they think they can keep. And Tertullian says, when you follow legalism, you're not really obeying the law of God because the law of God actually will lead you to the gospel. It'll make you cry out for the good news of it. Okay, deep breath. Got enough of that? Here we go. We're going to go the other direction. I'm going to wind this up. You guys can walk out going, I can't think anymore. That's great. All right. The other direction with this, because some people go, yeah, those legalists, they're a bunch of dummies. How dare they do that? They don't know anything. Well, how about when you fall on the other side of the line with this, right? It's like, I don't like it when you talk about the gospel. It sounds too demanding. It's like, I'm supposed to be able to live my own life. It's, I want to live it this way. And I believe God just accepts everybody. I believe in a God of love. Okay. All right. What kind of love? What kind of love? What are we talking about here? Because is it a costly love? When people say, I don't believe in a God of wrath that he would send people to hell, you don't understand hell, you don't understand God, you don't understand justice, you don't understand love as it's spoken about in the scriptures. Romans 5, 8 and 9 says, God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
So technically, in the Bible, salvation is defined as being saved by God from God and his wrath against sin. And I know people are like, oh, what's this thing called sin? This is so terrible. I, I don't believe in this thing called sin. God just loves me. Whatever I feel is right. Well, I will tell you, if that's you and you walk through your life and you feel like you never have really the strength and the power of God is walking through you and you're never really living for him, that's because you have a whittled down version of God and that God looks a lot like you. It's called idolatry. And this is many times what we do. Like if I tell you God loves you and I explain the gospel like we do every week, and your life doesn't begin to change at all, the reason in your mind is that it didn't cost your God anything to do your salvation. If you don't believe in a God of justice, then it is wrath against sin because of what it does to people and this world that he made, and that it is so heinous that it leads us all into separation and death. If you just think, well, if I was God, I'd just forgive. Jesus wouldn't have to go to the cross for my sins. I would, I would just forgive everybody. You have no idea what God went through to save you. No idea. What did he do? The gospel says he took your wrath. He took your hell. How do you know if you're a legalist? You know, somebody who is just a religious person or an antinomian like a universalist, both of them in the end is going to have no transforming power in their lives. There is no joy in Christ. There's no love for other people. The person who says, I think God just loves everybody, their idea of that means that's a sentimental love. It's not a real biblical love because there's no transforming power in that. There's no transforming power in a person's religion like that. William Cowper was a poet in the 1700s. He wrote some hymns, but he writes this. To see the law of love fulfilled on the cross and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. Meaning, it's not this duty that gets laid upon us. It's a choice because we want to love and follow God. To live out our lives as justified sinners is a really more demanding and far-reaching way of thinking about Christianity than we could really ever imagine. It goes into more places than rules could ever go. Walking in line with the gospel, we remember we are sinful, but we are righteous because of Christ. And this is true for my life. Guys, I can walk around sometimes and I will realize how much of a sinner I am and I just feel terrible and I forget how loved I am. Or I can think of myself as being so accepted by God and and what he's done that I forget how wicked I can be. And if we can see these things together, simultaneously justified and sinful, I think it could really strengthen us and change how we live. I'll give you two ways and bring this together. First off, I think it would change our self-image. I think it would change our self-image. If we live up to our own standards, you will be bold and confident, but you will not be humble. If you fail to live up to your own standards, you'll be humble, but you're not going to be bold and confident. But if we are simultaneously just and sinner, there's a humility and a boldness at the same time. Imagine suffering in the world, right? We look at suffering in the world. If you see it in line with the gospel, well, a legalist comes at suffering with this view that like, it's like Job's friends. What'd you do wrong? You must have done something wrong in order for this thing to happen to you in your life. When legalists suffer, they think they or someone else is doing something wrong. Antinomians or universalists on the other side, they, they, don't, they have God. He's got a lot of empathy, but they respond like Job's wife. Curse God and die, right? Because God must not be good enough to stop this pain from going in your life. If you believe in a holy God who's not loving, when you suffer, you will hate yourself. If you believe in a loving God that's not holy, when you suffer, you'll hate him. And this is what our culture looks like today because we keep saying God's whatever you want him to be. God's just a sentimental love. God accepts you whatever. And yet when their lives melt down, they hate God because God didn't come through for them. But they weren't ever worshiping God. If we are simultaneously justified and sinful, we don't get mad at God because we know we all deserve a terrible life, right? It's terrible. But we also know we've been redeemed. And therefore, whatever you're suffering, it's not karma. It's not a payment. 
Christ has paid our debt. Once we get rid of the I hate me or the I hate God, we stay in line with the gospel and we have a completely unique approach to suffering. We understand that whatever we go through in the end can bring good and redemption. Justified sinners. The other way is our interpersonal relationships, right? If somebody wrongs you in your life, uh, you, you can do one of two things. Well, you can go after the person and attack them and pay them back. Sometimes that feels really good. Or you can withdraw and say nothing and go and lick your, lick your wounds. So the pr- first approach feels good. Almost nobody does it unless it's online. You say, oh, this person did this to me. How terrible they are. And all of your friends hop online and go, yeah, they're terrible. Oh, upvote. They're horrible. Who are they? I want to cancel them. Feels good. It doesn't really help anybody in the midst of it. The second approach makes less ways, but it kills you. But the Bible says we overcome evil with good justified sinners. We realize that God has first forgiven us so that we can now go out and forgive others. You don't have to have some type of repayment against somebody else in your heart. If you're, if you're married, you understand how this is. Sometimes you fight with your spouse. I know, well, I don't. Yeah, you, we all do. And you get to a point where you're like, man, they just need to understand how angry I am. They understand how I feel about this. And you want them to be crucified because you're so angry. And yet Jesus was already crucified. So guess what? You don't have to crucify him. You can let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Imagine if we lived the gospel. How much deeper our marriages would end up being. How much deeper our friendships would end up being. Because you can let certain things go. And then when you deal with that, you've dealt with the forgiveness in your heart, then you get to go and talk with them. Then you can actually confront that person because you're not doing it out of bitterness. You're doing it out of restoration. And that's what a healthy society needs. That is what justice demands. And we, it also probably helps our own mental health in the end, by the way. But anyway, we, we can only do this when we are humble enough, knowing we have sinned like Paul, like Peter, like everybody else, and that we are able to forgive because we are confident in Christ's love first given to us that God has forgiven us in Christ. And if we don't understand that we are justified, we are children of God, but also sinful in ourselves, we're never going to be able to deal with relationships in a gospel-centric manner. We will either speak the truth without love or we'll speak love without the truth, and we need both. This is why Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and given himself up for me. We live this out every day, and that goes on into eternity. Here's a good quote I read. Loving somebody without the truth isn't really loving them, and telling the truth without loving them isn't really telling the truth. I want to read that again. Loving somebody without the truth isn't really loving them, and telling the truth without loving them isn't really telling the truth. See, Paul's whole confrontation with Peter reminded Peter, Peter, you're running to your own legalistic righteousness. Your self-image is not meant to be in yourself. It's meant to be that you are a child of God, and I want a real relationship with you, and you, in the end, need a real relationship with those Gentiles. We must come together. The whole thing is about understanding real justification and why it is so important. I... I was talking to somebody, and they said this thing to me, and it might have been my dad. I don't remember, but I can't say it was him. sounds like something he'd say, Uh, but it said this. If I believed I was justified by faith, I wouldn't have any incentive to live a good life. And I was like, what? If you lose all of your fear of God condemning you, and that makes you not have any incentive to live a better life, what it means is the only incentive you have to live a good life is fear. My dad believes in karma. Karma is all based upon fear. It's all fear. In the gospel, there is a new incentive on how we live our lives differently. 
how we serve one another, how we give to one another. Because we know we are righteous sinners and love failures. That's a dynamic of gratitude. See, legalists in the end, they're not going to be filled with gratitude. They're always going to be filled like, oh, someone wants more of my time. Someone wants to come in and want me to do these things. They're going to feel like that. And antinomians on the other side are never going to be filled with gratitude because they're going to think that nobody loves the way I love, right? Only righteous, justified sinners and love failures live in gratitude. Only that. The truth makes us want to get out there and find somebody that we can love because Christ has first loved us. What it actually teaches us is to how to live on mission as to want to go out in our lives and love those around us. Live in a life of gratitude for the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And so when you look around the world and you see people who claim to be Christians, and it's like, oh, look at their terrible actions. Yeah, they might be terrible actions. Guys, look, we should be a better people. We should be a better people. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But what I am saying is that many times we think that our actions result in salvation, and they don't. Christ's action over us is what results in our salvation. And when we mess up, it just shows why we need the gospel. It shows why we need the grace of who God is. And it shows that we are not justified in ourselves. We are only justified because of what Christ has done. And this is one of the reasons that Element, every week we talk about what the gospel is. We talk about the goodness of God, his restoring, redeeming, saving love for all of us. And we take you at the end of the message to the place of communion. Because communion reminds us that we are only justified because of Christ's work on our behalf at the cross. That he is the one who rescues us. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who is good when so often we are not. And this is why you break a cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine of the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for us. Because we could not save ourselves. None of us could. We are a people who simply trust in the redeeming work of Christ over us. And you know what that's supposed to lead to? Great and deep joy. We are supposed to be so joyful because our salvation is not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon how well you do things. It's not dependent on how well you go and you confront somebody else when they hurt you. It's not based upon how many times you read the Bible or how often you pray. It's based upon what Christ has done over us. We trust him. Our lives change. We get to step out into the reality of what Christ has done. And this is what we want to do. We want to be a people who consistently come back to understanding how we are justified, how we are saved, because it leads to boldness and humility at the exact same time. So if you'd like to, come and take communion today. Um, If you need prayer, there'll be people to pray for you over in the lounge right across the way. You can go during the music and go after service. If you have any questions about what we talked about today, you can go over there and ask some questions if you have those. But if it's like, I've never understood really the idea of justification, and I'm still a little confused, and I would like to understand a little bit more, they would love to talk to you about that. And walk deeper to this, and then pray for you, so that we would live our lives as justified sinners. Focusing more on the justified part, (laughs) knowing that we still mess up. Uh, If you would like to give, there's offering boxes next to all the doors. You can give online. We do not pass a plate at Element. When we give, it is simply a response to what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. Just like how we are supposed to love one another, it's a response to what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. And I encourage you to grab those sermon notes, take those questions in there, sit down with some friends this week, and maybe start to walk through that. What side of the line do you tend to fall on? Do you tend to fall on the antinomian side, the no law, or do you tend to fall on the legalism side? You know, the, the, it's, it's all law. We've got to figure these things out. What do you fall on? And how easy is it for you to fall that direction? And then who in your life comes along and reminds you like Paul does? 
of the goodness of justification found in Christ alone because of his grace. And we should want to do that for one another. Because I think that Peter's life after this moment, I think it, it changes a bit. Because his letters that he writes for Second Peter that are towards the end of the scriptures, uh, you see a complete difference in who he is. And how he calls all of us a kingdom of priests, not just Jews. Jews and Gentiles coming together. And I think that it was that resetting on what the gospel is. And I think he begins to live that out. And so we need to remind one another the truth of the goodness of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us, the, the corporate we, as a people, and you would move us to a place of understanding justification. Understanding the, the joy of what that means, that we can have a bold confidence in you. That you have brought us to yourself. And that our hope in this life is not based upon what we have done or haven't done, our commission or our omission. It rests upon you. And so I ask today that we'd be a people that if we haven't, we would surrender all that we are to you. We would trust you for your great salvation that would make the confession that you are God and Lord and that we would confess our sins to you. And that we would understand, though, that we have forgiveness and new hope and life that we now get to live out because of your great love over us. Father, it is so easy to be those who forget what you did to actually save us what you went through. And so I ask that we would understand that. Not to put us in a place of despair, but put us in a place of awe of your great redeeming love given to us. And so that we would then live out that same great redeeming love to those around us. As we understand that we are simultaneously justified, we are children of God, and yet we still sin. And yet, even in the midst of that, you still rescue. And we praise you for that rescue. Amen. We drop uh, the blinds. We can just take a couple moments here as we head into a couple songs. And ask God to do a work in your heart right now where he reveals to you. Ask him, am I a legalist or am I an antinomianism? If you have a hard time saying antinomian, maybe you can just say, am I a no-law person? <laughs> Ask God to reveal that to you. Like, which side of the line do you tend to fall off on? And maybe right now, where you've fallen off that. And not that that will lead you into a place of, oh, look, I'm so terrible, I fell off it. No, it leads you to a place of great hope because God saves us even in the midst of that, even in the midst of the places where we cease to understand what the gospel is. But I think it's really good to be honest enough with ourselves to understand what our tendency is. Where we have a tendency to fall off the line. Like I said, I tend to fall off on the legalist side. You know, I look around and I get frustrated. Sometimes I hide it, sometimes I don't. <laughs> I know you're the same way, I've seen you. Um, but ask God, where do I tend to fall off? And then ask His Spirit to remind you of the grace that is so prevalent in the person of Jesus Christ. And what justification truly is. 
as we rest in him and then go out and live your life in this world full of joy because our great God has rescued us despite ourselves and he leads us into new life because he is good. Come to communion, sing some songs, live in joy because of our redeeming God's great love for us.